statement that we heard yesterday from the United Nations Secretary General at a press conference that took place yesterday. So the era of global warming has ended, according to Antonio Guterres. The era of global boiling has arrived. So sounds pretty alarming and pretty serious. Let's talk about what's really at stake here and what we need to do here in Canada. What does this mean for us? Our guest is Dr. Gordon McBean, Professor of Geography and Environment for Western University. Dr. McBean, thanks so much for making the time. Really appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me, Chelsea. I'm pleased to talk to you. I think this is obviously something that is really important, and we've been talking about it much, much more recently, especially with the extreme weather um, situations that we've seen happen in our country. Here, wildfire situation in Alberta, the flooding that's taken place in Nova Scotia. Just how bad is it right now, and what do you think of the term global boiling? Well, it's not a term I would have initially picked myself, but I think it's important that the way the Secretary General is speaking is that he's calling for action uh, and trying to motivate that more so than has been seen. Um, the reality is the climate is warming and we have a, at least a global average temperature has increased about 1.1 degrees C, but we should recognize that in Canada, the warming rates on average across the country, not counting the coastal zones, is about twice as fast as that. So when we talk about, as there's now the projections based on uh, analysis of what people expect to do on their emissions globally, the G20 meeting just happening right now, uh, you know, we, the expectation is that by 2100 we'd be globally average average temperature increase about two and a half degrees Celsius, which would mean about five degrees Celsius in across most of the parts of Canada we live in and and about three times that amount in the Canadian north. So we're going to see some very significant warming and I think by the Secretary General's comments we're going from, you know, well, warming and just well, warming is a nice kind of thing to we're boiling. Well, we're, you know, there is a, a lot of heat days happening. The number of hot days in Edmonton is probably going to go up, well, perhaps by a factor of 10 by the end of the century. Uh, and that uh, would be a lot of hot days. Well, you we don't get that as many now as some parts of Canada, but nonetheless, it can be very warm. And with that comes the increased amount of water in the atmosphere, which can lead to both drying of the surfaces and at the same time resulting in a connection way with more heavy precipitation events. I'm in London, Ontario, and I actually got a thunderstorm going on outside my house right now. <laughs> Canada warming at twice the rate of the world average is a pretty big piece of information to try to digest. Why is it that we are warming at such an accelerated rate? What are we doing to contribute to that? Well, it's not that we're contributing. It's the, what we would say, in a sense, is the geography and the climate system. When they talk about the global temperature change of 1.1 degrees C now, that includes all of the the ocean surfaces and the ocean is warming much slower than the the atmosphere uh, and uh, so the land areas like you know Edmonton Calgary cross through most of central Canada is warming much faster because it doesn't have that moderating influence of a big ocean next to it with a large amount of water in it that takes a longer time to warm up. Uh, the climate system has very long time scales in it. We're talking about 
when you put carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, it stays there about 100 years. And the climate system, the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere has gone up from about 280 parts per million about 80 years ago to now over 420 or so. Uh, and But the climate system still hasn't quite caught up to that. So that means that even if we were to buy some process result in having a, a net a green, greenhouse gas emissions from fossil fuel, well, anyway, like carbon dioxide, methane, etc., uh, if we could somehow rather take that to zero tomorrow, uh, we would still be warming for three, four, five decades. So the targets because that we have in, I mean, in, I think most countries right now, certainly here in Canada, to cut carbon emissions aren't aren't reasonable enough? Do we need to accelerate those targets? We need to accelerate the targets uh, globally. I mean, Canada's emissions in terms of total amount. And I should say, because the CO2 stays in the atmosphere for that long period of time, it's not how much we emit, it's how much globally is emitted. You know, Canada's emissions per in global numbers are not huge, but the emissions per person, per capita in Canada, is, is, relative, is quite high compared to mm. other countries. Uh, and But the, the point is that we need to take action to reduce our emissions, but I think what I'd like to emphasize is we need to take action to, to let's say, modify our physical infrastructure, our ways of doing things, what we call it climate change adaptation, to adapt to the realities of a changing climate that is going to get warmer. It'll have more heavy precipitation events, the risks of hailstones, and I'm involved with a hail project that's looking at hailstones in Calgary. and we've got some people from the University of Alberta involved in that. Anyway, um, you know, these kind of things are you know, major events. I mean, the numbers of tornadoes in you know, Calgary is worse than, I think, Edmonton, from what my knowledge of the, that part of the West. But uh, it's the unfortunate reality is these number of events are going to increase. And the floods we've seen, which you referred to in Atlantic Canada, but we've also seen them in on the prairies, uh, and these river, they, you know, run very strongly when they get a huge amount of water input to them through heavy precipitation events. So it gives us a, a sort of an idea of the things that we might be dealing with annually, based on what we've all, what we've experienced, specifically mm-hmm. here in Alberta with the wildfire se- um, season yeah. that you just mentioned. What else is really at stake here? Why is this something that we need to address and quicker than maybe we thought we did? Well, I think that the realities of the heat that we're seeing now is that this kind of, you know, we're probably, July this year is going to be probably the warmest, hottest July ever on record in the, that we know of on this planet. And we're going to see more of them. It's not going to be a such, you know, just unusual one time of phenomena that's not going to happen again. Instead, it will become more often and eventually the new normal. And then the, and that keeps going up in 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 intensity. So we're going to see more uh, hot days uh, and the impact of people directly on the, on the health of people causing deaths. I mean, the U.S. has better statistics on this, but their data show that the number of deaths due to heat waves is more than the number due to, say, hurricanes, the total of hurricanes or tornadoes or stuff. Heat has been, for a long time, 
a major effect on human health, most often affecting the elderly, those who have other physical problems. But it also affects the agricultural system in that your uh, farming fields become drier, hotter, and we have to think about, okay, how do you optimize your your farm approach in order to address the fact that you're going to have many more hot days, which in some ways is an advantage, but in other ways is a major disadvantage. I'm not a farming expert to know this exactly, but I know from talking to farm people, food production people, I work with them indirectly in a sense, uh, is that those things will have effect on our food systems. The risks uh, through these extreme events of cutting our infrastructure apart, I mean, we've seen the hailstorm that hit Calgary in June 2020 cost $1.2 billion in insured losses. Those were, those were, that was the money that went to people who had insurance. For those who didn't have any insurance, there was additional costs. And yet there's still pushback, you know, and I think there's not universal buy-in when it comes to addressing climate change. And now this new term, global boiling, is even being met with some resistance, saying this is just another buzzword that we're hearing about. I want to talk a little bit about how you, you address the fact that there's still denial and I think resistance, and maybe it comes from a place of being defensive, Uh, but resistance to change. Uh, I want to get into that with you in just a few minutes, but we have to take a very short break. So if you'll bear with me, we're going to come right back into this conversation talking about the era of global boiling. What does that mean? And what does it mean for Canada? Our guest is a professor of geography and environment at Western University, Dr. Gordon McBean. We'll be right back in two minutes. Talking about climate change. No more in the era of global warming. Now, according to the UN uh, Secretary General, we are entering the era of global boiling. So what does that mean and what does that mean for our country? We're getting into it right now with our guest, who's a professor of geography and environment at Western University, Dr. Gordon McBean. Dr. McBean, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate you sticking around on hold. I think we're talking about a very important topic and having you, uh, let's say, both talk with me and and, and the people who are listening uh, hopefully will... let's say, both benefit and learn and uh, take action as we need to have action, not just talking. (laughs) Yeah, you know, because I think there is still a lot of resistance when it comes to this conversation as a whole. Just glancing at our text line as we're having this conversation about what this means, Dr. McBean, someone saying the UN Secretary Secretary General has such a flair for the dramatic on almost every issue on which he speaks, I just basically tune him out now. Another person saying (laughs) that uh, global boiling is just a fear-mongering buzzword. So... How do you address the fact that there's still so much pushback when you even try to bring up the conversation about climate change and what we really need to do about it? Yes, well, I agree that there is pushback, and it's interestingly the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change report, the, the very latest one, which came out in uh, in different version, well, the different sections of it came out in 2021, 2022. But the section on the North America chapter in terms of impacts and vulnerability and risks has a section in it where it talks about the role of climate change deniers and how this is holding back progress and the fact that it is more in the United States but still an important issue in Canada. And we need to address this issue by speaking out. As a scientist, I've been... Uh, talking about this issue publicly to various groups for literally 
oh, many decades now. Uh, I uh, did back in the 1980s and into the 1990s, I was the chair of the World Climate Research Program's International Scientific Committee, which was putting together the science programs. And we now have, as is summarized in the IPCC report, the statement that it is unequivocal, scientifically unequivocal, that the change in climate over the last 50 years is due to the human emissions of greenhouse gases into the atmosphere and they are causing a warming climate system because they make the atmosphere essentially restrain more of the energy that comes in from the sun uh, and the rec reflections back. Anyway, it's a complicated science I won't go into it in detail, but let me just say that it's science that we well understand. We've been looking at it for literally decades. The science community initial reports written, and we wrote the first one in 1990, didn't say explicitly, but for the last three or four reports, and this latest one said it is unequivocal, and yet we're still finding there are groups and organizations motivated by whatever factors they are sure. uh, uh, who will deny it. Uh, for whatever their reasons. Well, and I'm wondering if you can address the fact that this is something that the scientific community has been talking about for decades, because there are a few people on our text line that are, that are bringing that up, saying, um, can you ask your guests why we should trust the climate pr change predictions now? We've heard of these for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. So why is it so much more serious now? Can you speak to that? Well, it's the reason why it's more serious now is not that the is first of all the science is getting more explicit, more able to go into the details, but the results that are coming out uh, that we are seeing now for projections for the end of this uh, century uh, are very consistent with the ones that came out decades ago. It's so we we've had a good system of science relatively early on. As when I was first involved in. I mean, I, I got involved in climate change discussions, I guess, as a leading scientist back in the 1980s. And uh, we started thinking this is a big issue, and we went to meetings that was held actually in Canada in 1988, uh, a global summit. It was the first time two prime ministers, the prime minister of Canada, Mulroney, and the prime minister of Sweden, I think it was, uh, Opened and spoke as the lead opening speakers at a ma you know a major global science conference on climate change, and we've seen a progression of that since. But there are still you know, some countries that have strong reasons for not taking action in terms of their economies and their other fundamental beliefs and you know supports and things. And I've been encouraging the science community to speak out even more. Uh, and we, well, as I say, I've been doing it personally for years. We're running joint projects with Rotary Clubs and those kind of things. And I'm actually also part of what's called the Institute for Catastrophic Loss Reduction, which was set up to look at how do we address the realities of a changing climate and help people to know how to make their home for example, in Alberta, less vulnerable when you have a hailstorm, so that when it doesn't get bashed apart and when you also get a warning that is early enough and informed enough 
that you take the action to put your car in the garage because I think roughly of that $1.2 billion of insured costs damage, at least not quite half, but pretty close to half of it was cars that were sitting out on the street and were were just pulverized by these hailstones coming down. Dr. McBean, I know we could keep going on this conversation, but that's all the time that we have with you today. So uh, thank you so much for sharing your perspective and uh, your insight. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you very much because it's through you people we're going to get the media, the message out, hopefully mm-hmm. resulting in action. And that's what I say. We need action for our children and grandchildren and literally all children and grandchildren around the world. Well, we'll chat about it again, I'm sure. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's Dr. Gordon McBean, Professor of Geography and Environment at Western University, talking about the era of global boiling.